When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a Friday. The weekend edition of Daily Thrones has begun. That's right. Our weekends are Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Every week. It's a party over here. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Glad to be here with you on Anchor. Hope you're listening. If you're new, uh, don't forget to call in. I want to hear your thoughts and your theories. This is a warm, accepting, loving Game of Thrones community here. Call in anytime. Address any topic you want. We have some uh, stuff to uh, talk about with the the uh, premiere we got some thoughts some bets on that we got more on the hound from kevin this conversation about the hound is is great and it was going the last couple days we're going to add to that and then we're going to get back to talking about some of my favorite moments and scenes from season seven of game of thrones hey ken so when uh season seven wrapped i i my official prediction for when season eight was going to drop i said april 2019 the show premiered april 2011 and i'm sticking with that i think that i i think it's i do agree with you it's, i think it's gonna be more earlier than later 2019 and i think april would probably be the best bet and, I'm, and i think they would want to maybe bookend how they premiered the show back in t- 2011 to how they're going to end the show in 2019 as we know now is Official. So, yeah, I'm saying my bet is April 2019. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. Um, a couple things. Uh, the Hound did see the Red God when he was a child in the flames, but he had the same reaction that Varys did, which is it scared them both to death. And so those two characters suffer what we call the Robert Baratheon problem, that they actually experienced real magic, and in this case, real religion. They know that there is something beyond. And... This is why the Hound is always such a cynic. Like, if there's a real God, why doesn't he stop these things? Why don't these things happen? He's seen a demon and doesn't understand that it's the Red God. And now he's with a group of people that are helping bring him along, and Melisandre will fix that all up. But as to what, will will Arya kill the Hound? Yes. When will that happen? At the end of the Clegane Bowl. Because um, they'll both be uh, killing each other. And the Hound will win, but Arya will have to put him out of his misery the way that she said she would. Thanks. Right, one of my favorite moments in Season 7 is from Episode 2, Stormborn. Mark Malone directing Brian Cogman writing. And it is the Arya and Hot Pie reunion. And we've talked about it a little bit here on Daily Thrones. We've even talked about it recently, uh, focusing on a Hot Pie. I love the... I'm a survivor just like you moment from Hoppy because he is. He truly is a survivor in this land. He shouldn't survive. This land, Westeros, this world at this time, the Seven Kingdoms, are not built for people like Hot Pie to last long. And he has not had a simple life working at a at the crossroads inn his entire life. I mean he he meets on the run, he uh, is being transported up to the Night's Watch where he would have been a fine cook up there at Castle Black. 
and then captured, uh, escaped on the run. He is out of shape. He is uh, inherently cowardly in a way, but he, not that he is a coward, but he's not a fighter. He's not a champion. He's not a knight. He's not even a hedge knight. And he's on the road, on the run, and survives. Essentially traded like a big old bag of potatoes to the innkeeper at the crossroads at the end. But he's got a skill. He's good at baking, good at cooking, and therefore he is a survivor. So that's part of the moment, part of the scene that I really, really love is, is Hot Buy. It's great to see him again. But it is Arya Stark and her journey, which is still going, this second phase or final phase of Arya's uh, character growth and arc. I really think this is one of the key moments because the debate of what happens later on with Arya and Sansa the reunion, all that stuff, and the, the games on Baelish, and was it realistic, and, and all the kind of uh, sometimes justifiable critiques of that storyline. I, I often go back to this scene with Hot Pie and think, well, why did we even question him? She is stone cold. She is a killer. She is going south to kill the queen, cross her off the list, and it's just the mention of Jon Snow, the brother who gave her needle, returning to Winterfell, alive, at Winterfell. Family is home at Winterfell. Remember season three? Her and the hound on the road. All she wanted, she kept staring at the twins. They were so close. Her family was there. A wedding was about to happen. She was so close. It's all she wanted to do. When she actually showed up, though the red wedding was already happening, already uh, about to begin, uh, the bad parts, the violent parts, she was looking over at Stark men and fell home. It was an important connection. It didn't happen. Since then, she's been on the run, been in another country. Even though she's happy with the journey, has learned a lot of things and changed, she is still a Stark, and it's buried deep down beside her. And it is when Hot Buy gives her the information that Jon Snow is going back to Winterhell, that Arya, the old spark of Arya, shows up. And the two Arias combine. The loving, family, dedicated Arya, who is rough around the edges, connects with the Arya we now know, the train killer. It's in that moment. We should have known. A lot of us didn't doubt. A lot of us saw what was coming, which is, again, one of the critiques maybe of the story. But in story, if you're in the Game of Thrones story bubble, this is the moment where the two Arias intersect. And we have the Aria that we know now. Hey, Ken, calling in with a season seven favorite moment, and it ties to Snow Team Six and the little moments that all of those characters had when traveling north of the wall. Um, it's just a great moment when you have Gendry telling his story about Melisandre and the Hound, and I believe it was Tormund saying, What's wrong with that? when Gendry's talking about what she was doing to him, or the little moment between. Jorah and John talking about Longclaw and Jor Mormont. Just those little story moments uh, between like the first, what, 20, 15, 20 minutes of that episode was really cool. Um, we haven't seen a lot of these characters on screen together and so many things that happened with them over the past seven seasons. We finally get to see uh, some of these storylines kind of come to fruition, how they all kind of meld together. So definitely my favorite little moment was um, uh, Snow Team 6 above the wall. Jeff calling in about Snow Team 6, and I, I like that. I like what you're saying, Jeff. Those little moments 
in that episode with all these characters, this all-star team together. And there's certainly criticism of that episode, criticism of that plan. Uh, it's, it's, we've talked about it before here. Should more than just Thoros have died? Why was that plan stupid? And I actually think the plan was stupid. I think that's an in-story and out-of-story criticism. It was just like a weird choice for the show to do that. But also, it was a weird choice for the characters to do that. So that episode kind of, it's my, it's weird because it's my least favorite episode of season seven. But that's, you know, not saying much because I think it's still an amazing show, even in its lows. Um, so I think a lot of the little moments in that episode are, get lost in the bigger debate, get lost with us fans kind of looking at the bigger issues of that episode and, and some of the bigger successes of that episode. Make make no mistake. I mean, the death of Viserion, is, that's that's big and, and big, giant, epic Game of Thrones moments. But that's why we're doing this list. That's why we're talking about it here and have been going season by season on Daily Thrones, looking at these little moments because they help build characters, they help build it and uh, build the story. And I loved the all-star team aspect of Snow Team 6. Um, and I think it pays off in those moments that we get with them. Uh, whether it's even the moments when they first kind of meet, actually, in the prior episode, uh, when they're all kind of bantering back and forth, and they kind of almost like it's, uh, um, almost like it's, uh, uh, uh the, the end of Clue or one of the, the movie Clue, if you've, if you've ever seen that movie uh, from 85, just kind of the rapid fire, suddenly we're all connected. I, I just loved it, when it, loved it when it came together. So when they're actually marching, it, it paid off for me. It really did take these characters, intertwine them in a realistic way, gave us some of the more funny moments of Season 7 and, and some of the more character-driven moments of Season 7. And a lot of that humor came out of those characters. Uh, some of the best moments were between Jorah Mormont, uh, excuse me, uh, um, Jorah Mormont and Jon Snow, talking about Jorah Mormont, talking about Longclaw. Love that Jon Snow tried to give up Longclaw. Uh, Mormont wouldn't take it. I mean, that's some great stuff. And the jokes, the hound being the hound, it's all good. It, 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 the episode kind of, uh, like you said, Jeff, it's the first 20 minutes. It really, really pays off. And then it goes into something else, which I like as well. Which I like as well. But uh, those little moments, the Snow Team 6, whether you liked it or not, if you're one of the viewers who didn't think this was one of the better ideas for the show to do understand but you have to admit even in those, that situation there's some great moments great character moments and maybe some of the old school Game of Thrones we missed during season 7 because season 7 of course it moves so fast but here we had some time even though it takes place in one episode we had some time on the road some time to talk some time to banter sometimes yeah, you gotta love that cause we need it the Daily Thrones Weekend Edition rolls on. The Weekend Edition of Daily Thrones rolls on, and let's talk about Grayscale. Let's talk about Jorah Mormont and Samwell Tarly. Uh, one of the more, well, tough-to-watch, disgusting sequences of Season 7 and maybe all of Game of Thrones. And Samwell Tarly was involved in a, in a couple of these sequences this year. But this sequence, which actually stretches from the first three uh, episodes, uh, where we first see Jorah in a cell, scaring Samwell Tarly and asking about uh, Daenerys. And then we get the uh, more uh, upfront meeting in Stormborn and the final kind of removal of the uh, uh, grayscale. 
in the third episode, The Queen's Justice. And this is, uh, like I said, disgusting sequence. But as a Jorah fan, it was uh, wonderful to watch. There was a part of me initially was like, wow, I guess it's that easy. We're just going to go ahead and cut this stuff off. No one else could do it. But I think the sequence revealed some stuff about the maesters not willing to help when maybe they could, when it could be a risk. And it was risky indeed. I understand Ebro's being mad at Samwell, but also impressed. Um, so that kind of technical stuff aside and theory parts aside, because maybe the theory, uh, maybe the maesters want people to have grayscale. There's a lot of talk out there like that. But I love this sequence because of the little moments between Sam and Jorah. Jorah has given up all hope. I believe he would have ended himself. He would have followed through. He was writing the letter to Daenerys Targaryen. But it is Samwell who has learned so much going back to season one. And the Samwell we're seeing here is the Samwell who he always was. He was a caring individual. He helped lead the charge to save Jon Snow from ditching and deserting on the Night's Watch back after uh, uh, learning that Ned Stark had died. But there's a little bit of me saying that Samwell is is channeling Jon Snow here in this moment, just as he learned from him and then channeled him when he saved Gilly and did um, a lot of those things and, and bravely killed a, a, a White Walker when others probably would have shut away. It is Sam continuing to grow but also remaining true to his character again. Uh, when it was silly and stupid, he sa- saved Gilly. When it was silly and stupid, he killed a, a White Walker. And now here again, well, let's also not forget when it's silly and stupid, he took the sword uh, from uh, Heartsbane from his father's uh, house. So that was silly and stupid as well. And here he is again. It is silly and stupid to try to save Sejora, but Samwell is not going to leave him behind. And then the moment, the connection, connecting uh, Jorah Mormont to the late Jor Mormont, and not just like, hey, I served in the Night's Watch. I liked your dad. I was there when he was died. Tough luck, but I'm going to save him. It was the connection and the moment. I love the moment when Sam says to Jorah, you're not going to die tonight, which uh, is invoking what Jor Mormont, the Lord Commander of the Night's Watch, said to Samuel Tarley. Samuel Tarley, I forbid you to die. There is a true connection between Jor Mormont, Jor Mormont, excuse me, and his men. Uh, which is why it is so troubling and an and, uh, unjust end to that character for him to die at the hands of, of some of his uh, worst men. But it's also a comment on the state of the Night's Watch. I don't know if that would have happened if it wasn't made entirely or mostly of criminals and rapists and uh, ne'er-do-wells. I don't know. That's another question for another day. But in this scene, Sam invoking that connection, calling on that memory... To do something again, silly and stupid, that is really, really brave to save a person who deserves this chance. Jorah does deserve to come back from Grayscale. Was it a quick fix for a long arc? Yeah, even I will admit, but that was part of Season 7, right? Things move quick. It's not so much the journey anymore of Jorah finding a cure. It's about Jorah getting the cure and returning to Danny. It's about Samwell Tarly rising to the occasion. Being brave when others would not. Sam the Slayer. Sam the Healer now. It's a beautiful, touching moment in a season full of big, giant, violent moments with fire-breathing dragons, men being burned, big battles, big uh, betrayals, big murders. Here is Samuel Tarley, quietly, confidently, after a slug of rum, and bravely 
doing something no one else would do. Samwell, you're one of a kind. The weekend edition of Daily Thrones rolls on. Hey, Ken. I just wanted to call in with a moment from Season 7 that I absolutely adore. Uh, When Sam and Gilly are looking through all of the records at the Citadel, and Sam is obviously scanning for information, Gilly's just trying to kill time, and she's reading all of this miscellaneous fact from the, uh, the records that she's reading. And she spouts off something along the lines of, um, do you know how many windows there are in the Great Sept of Baylor? And Sam turns around and says, none anymore. Uh, that popped me so good watching that the first time, and it still gets me every time. Um, so that's my moment for right now that I can think of for season seven. Uh, another one, another thing I'd like to get your opinion on, Ken, is fan film in Game of Thrones. Do you think we can start seeing some great fan film in Game of Thrones, much like Star Wars has had over the years? Or do you think we're at risk with kind of a Paramount situation where they were going after all the Star Trek fan films? Do you think we could be looking at HBO going after people for making fan film? Is that maybe why we haven't seen any? Uh, I'd love to know your opinion. Thanks for taking the call and have a great day. More Sam, thanks to a phone call there from Sir Thomas the Tall. I, uh, I do agree. That moment is great. Gilly is so great. Uh, what little time she has, she makes an impact, and we all kind of root for her, feel for her at times. We feel for her when Randall Tarley is uh, tearing her down, and then when she stands up to Randall Tarley, it's a great moment. And, yeah, the stuff with Sam and Gilly, though there wasn't a lot in Season 7, Sweet moments, cute moments, and frustrating moments, of course, where Sam didn't really listen to her as uh, she seemed to solve a, a big mystery in Game of Thrones. But, uh, you know, about Rhaegar Targaryen's uh, annulment and second secret marriage. But I, I do believe Sam already knew. Uh, I think that was kind of our way uh, for, of the show, uh, I should say, telling us that Sam kind of already knew. But here's the information he knows, so we'll come back. It just... Uh, reeked a little bit too much of Sam completely discounting Gilly in the very important information. Uh, so maybe an awkward execution of that part of the story, but uh, a lot of stuff there. Yeah, there was a little inside joke there with the Sept of Baylor and the reference to Season 6. I, I did love that as well. And uh, Sam makes the decision to leave the Citadel shortly thereafter. We'll see if that pays off. On the subject of fan films in Game of Thrones... You're right, I hadn't really thought about it, that we haven't seen a lot of that kind of stuff there. Part of it might be because I, I do believe in the exact quotes, is, they aren't in front of me, but I don't, I don't think uh, George R. R. Martin is a big fan of fan films and fan fiction. He kind of considers it a, a bit of copyright infringement, and I understand that point of view. I am, I guess, notoriously grumpy, I shall say, on a Star Wars fan films. Uh, though some of them are great and entertaining and so many efforts, uh, a lot of effort put into it and a lot of money and everything. And I, I know people who actually uh, have made some of these and been in some of these uh, bigger, higher profile uh, Star Wars fan films. I just the, – the fan edits, the fan cuts of movies, the, the fan films, not my thing, not my forte, not my interest. I kind of just want to see these stories as told by the people who are creating them. And for years it was George Lucas, and now for years it's George R. R. Martin. I wouldn't want to read a Game of Thrones fan fiction, even if it's good. I guess if there's some kind of what's-the-point shrug mentality for me, that, uh, hey, where is it? Uh, you know, what's the point? I read this, even if it's good, it doesn't count. It is taking these characters I know and, and doing something other with them. So I don't know. Maybe that factors into it. George R. R. Martin's dislike of fan films. So maybe Game of Thrones fans feel, hey, why bother? And if he's kind of uttered the words copyright infringement, 
Maybe George R. R. Martin will not be so kind. I could see HBO going after some people. Um, fan films, it's an interesting topic. It's an interesting discussion that goes into a lot of different ways, things I can't say. Um, but uh, I do support creativity and and art in any kind, and I do think a lot of people make fan films if they're doing it out of love and respect very much for the properties they love. So if you have a Game of Thrones fan film you're out there working on, continue. Press on. I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. Hey, Ken, Kevin Ross. We've been talking about The Hound for a couple of days, uh, so let's get to something a little lighter. Does Ed Sheeran come back on the show with his troops, and do they become White Walkers that Arya has to eventually kill during the Siege of Winterfeld or maybe Plan B, which would be kind of funny? But on a side note, we know that certain celebrities uh, are coming into Star Wars now and becoming Stormtroopers as that kitschy little cameo. So what celebrity would you like to see become a White Walker, uh, and who do you want that celebrity to be killed by? Just a thought. Thanks. All right. That's just the question of the ages. Should Ed Sheeran come back to Game of Thrones as a white just so Arya can kill him? It'd be kind of cruel to have Maisie Williams kill someone she's such a fan of, but I think the fans might enjoy if Ed Sheeran at this time around is on to be killed. I, of course, I was one of the people that didn't mind the Ed Sheeran cameo. It just didn't stand out for me. Uh, it didn't take me out of the story. It's just a fun, kitschy little moment that I knew was coming. I kind of forgot it was coming, um, but knew it was coming because, you know, again, Maisie Williams is a fan. They put him in the show, but if he comes back as a white, I think we might have a success and a great cameo. Uh, as far as what celebrity would I want to see in Game of Thrones and who should kill the celebrity? Leslie Jones. Saturday Night Live's uh, powerhouse Leslie Jones. I would like to see her in the show as a white and killed by the best of the best, Jon Snow. That worked for me. What celebrity would you guys like to see in Game of Thrones as a white? And who would you like to kill him? It's a question from my friend Kevin of Three Cocktail Questions. And we're going to answer it here on Daily Thrones. The Weekend Edition rolls on. The Weekend Edition of Daily Thrones rolls on. And we have hit Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And let's talk about the Queen's Justice. We have some big moments in that episode, including uh, one of my favorite ones, which is Cersei Lannister. Getting her revenge on Ilaria Sand and Tyene Sand. It is a heart-wrenching moment. It's not tough to watch in that the scene itself isn't graphic, but it's tough to put yourself into that scene if you're Ilaria Sand and Tyene Sand and knowing what's about to happen. And this is going to be a painful death for Tyene and a long painful thing to have happen to Laria Sand. We like Laria Sand. We like Obra Martel. We like the Sand Snakes. But there's something about this moment when you break it down that why I love Cersei Lannister so much and why I love what Lena Headey does with the character of Cersei Lannister. When Cersei is talking to Laria about how she, she doesn't sleep much. She just kind of stays up thinking about ways to kill her enemies and kill people. You believe her. And you believe that this is what she wanted to do and she gets to do it. She enacts her revenge. She gets vengeance. And, and this is the key part of it, I think just the way that 
Lena Headey delivers things sometimes. The way she built this character up going back to season one were those quieter moments with Robert Baratheon and her, or even her confrontation with Witten, with Ned Stark, which you kind of see some of her points of view inside and her connection to her children and what she does for her children. All that kind of builds to the moment where she sips the wine in season six in the Winds of Winter after destroying the Sept of Baelor. We all like that moment, but we kind of should, right? We shouldn't like Cersei in this moment. She's doing something horrible to Laria San and Tyene San. But in this world, it almost seems right. The way Lena Hattie delivers the lines, the way she talks about it, and the way, well, it's poetic justice for what Laria San did to Cersei and to Marcella, her daughter, killing her in the same fashion. Cersei's going to amp it up just a little bit, and now Laria is going to have to watch this happen. It is a mind-bending moment. We shouldn't be rooting for Cersei Lannister, but oftentimes we do. And it's these little moments that make it easier, question mark, for us to root for Cersei. Hey, Ken, so the next episode I wanted to talk about is... uh Episode three of Queen's Justice, and this is an episode that has a lot of big moments. I mean, Danny and John meeting is a big moment. The Queen of Thorns at the end, that's a big moment. Hilarious Sand is a big moment. I want to talk about a smaller moment, and it's the scene between Varys and Melisandre. I think it's a great scene where he, you know, she's looking down at Jon Snow and Davos, and Varys comes up and says, you know, why aren't you down there? And she admits, she says, I did not part on good terms with the King of the North or his advisor. And Varys asks, he's like, why? And she's like, because of mistakes I've made horrible mistakes and then she says my days of whispering in the ears of kings has come to an end so i'm going to go back and but i must return one last time and she explains to him and says because i have to die here just like you dear spider and a lot and there is some speculation that her saying that has some relevance to that voice he put he heard when his genitals were thrown into the fire that there is some could be a connection maybe yeah, one of the more interesting moments in the Queen's Justice was Varys and Melisandre talking. And it's, it's also interesting to see this kind of defeated Melisandre, which emerged with the episode The Red Woman at the beginning of season six. And even though she saves Jon Snow, she's never been the same. It's a belief in herself, maybe. She's still got some stuff going on, though. And this scene with Varys remains, to me, one of the more intriguing scenes in season seven and something that we hope gets answered in season eight we talk about it a lot here what is melisandre's point what is uh, what does she do in season eight how does she factor back into the story she runs off now but she believes she's going to die and yes there's something with Varys, something with those voices something with his fear of magic does it all pay off i don't want Varys to die i wouldn't mind Varys being one of the characters that survived to the end i think in a way he deserves that uh, unlike Davos, who deserves it. It's a different kind of deserve. Davos deserves it for being a good guy who uh, picked himself up and remained true to himself all the way through. Where Varys just had to do it, but I, I don't fault Varys. Had to do things a little differently. Was at the bottom, picked himself up from whore, and rose to the top using different means, different manners. The circumstances were different. Davos just seems to be more of a pure of heart type of guy. But I like Varys. We all like Varys. Conleth Hill does such a good job of bringing a, um, a humor and a wit to that character and a warmth buried beneath the mystery and the games. So this scene actually stands out to me as one of the best of season seven because it's like, no, I, I can accept Melisandre dying even though I'm a fan of the character and a fan of Chris Van Halen's portrayal of her. I just... 
I don't want Varys to die. Unless it has some big purpose. We'll come back to this scene a lot, which is why I'm glad Eric brought it up. This is going to be a conversation starter as we look towards season eight. Because I think a lot of it's tied into what we were talking about with the Hound earlier this week. And the, and the Hound and Arya reunion. Would, would Arya kill the Hound? Why has uh, Melisandre promised that her and Arya would meet again? Who's going to die from this? What's the purpose? What's the point? The the the, the, the god uh, of fire, Relor, and the religion of uh, uh, they're all here. The, the 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 Lord of Light, all that stuff. The red priests and priestesses. It seems to be the religion that has the most to do with the end. Seven gods. The religion is. Because of the actions of people like the High Sparrow and the other High Septims, it's hollow at times. The old gods seem very connected to what's going on, and I think there's a purpose to the old gods. But uh, other than some of the children of the forest and the, and the trees, the heart trees, you're not seeing that religion front and center. It is the Lord of Light and all his followers that seem to be making some sort of impact and have a bigger purpose as we go towards the end. After all, Zora I basically comes from their prophecies, their religion. So, Melisandre and Varys. It's a small scene, but it's a key scene. Why episode three, The Queen's Justice, has a lot of bits to chew on. You cannot talk about our favorite moments of season seven of Game of Thrones without saying goodbye to Elena Tyrell. We've talked a lot about her passing her final scenes, her final death, uh, her final death. Well, in Game of Thrones, sometimes you do get more than one, right? Her death scene is one for the ages. It's one of my favorite deaths of the show. There's, there's great moments with her in season seven, even though she's not around for a long time. I love the tiny little moment with her and Daenerys Targaryen, asking her if she's a sheep. No, you're a dragon. Be a dragon. And giving her the advice of how Elena survived so long was not listening to the advice of the uh, men around her. It's a lesson that Danny takes to heart, has to uh, take that lesson and adapt it to her existence. Because it can also, you know, sometimes if you hold hard and true to certain things, you might not uh, compromise later on. Something Jon Snow continues to learn. Danny learns as well. But it's a powerful moment. I think Danny has an immense amount of respect for Elena Tyrell. She is a fan favorite character because of Diana Riggs' portrayal of her, the quick wit, the vicious wit, and her sense of uh, needing and not being afraid to take action. She determined it was going to be a good move, a needed move, though dangerous, to participate in the murder of King Joffrey. She makes that command decision. I don't know if Mace Tyrell would have done that. So Elena Tyrell goes and in the Queen's Justice, we get to say goodbye to her. Uh, what can be said that hasn't already been said about this scene, uh, even here on Daily Thrones? It, it was a scene that resonated with a lot of us. There's so much in it. There's the humanity of Jamie Lannister. That's there. Jamie of season one or beyond might have just struck her down where she stood or let Cersei do with her uh, that she wanted. Cersei had some bad death plan. But I think there's a humanity and an honor to Jamie Lannister present now that maybe wasn't present before or, the, or has, always was but has emerged now. And he feels more confident even in conquering for Cersei. He tries to honor Elena a, a little bit and gives her a way out. And Elena takes it 
And it made me think of Alistair Thorne when he is hanged by Jon Snow and basically says, and I'm paraphrasing, but I fought and I lost. I think Elena Terrell had that thought too. Facing death the only way she could in this world. Right at it, directly. With a bit of fear, but knowing that this is at least somewhat in her own hands. It's a powerful moment, and then she gets a final victory. And bidding to Jamie, what we all know by now, she was the one who had Joffrey killed. It was a powerful moment, a powerful final moment. Again, one of the greatest deaths, and in a show that is so big at times, so loud at times, so violent, there was a quietness to this death, a quietness, quietness to this moment, almost serene, almost calm. And Elena Tyrell goes out like a queen. The Daily Thrones weekend edition is wrapping up. You can still call in with your favorite moments. I got a lot of calls in the queue for us to talk about this week. Uh, people like Vic and Eric Monroe and Kevin Ross and Thomas Sattal. We have Jared calling in as well. We've got some calls still to come about your favorite moments in Season 7 of Game of Thrones. The small little scenes that strike a big chord. Let me know. We'll see you next time here on Daily Thrones.